It's great to be with you all. It's been lovely to get to, to know uh, me and, and Jane uh, and to know a little bit more about the, the work uh, here in, um, in Rotherham. It's lovely to, to, to meet you all. As, as Ian said, we're beginning a, a series. We, we discovered this at the beginning of the service. We're beginning a series, a short series on eyewitnesses meeting Jesus at, at the cross. And the first character that we're, we're looking at this afternoon is someone called Pilate. Why don't you grab one of these red Bibles and turn to page 1059. So 1059. Uh, this, is, this is an account of the life of Jesus written by someone called Luke. And uh, Luke is telling us about the very end of the life of Jesus. Jesus is on trial for his life. Um, and he stands before someone who's going to make a decision about whether Jesus lives or dies. And his name is Pilate. We're just going to think about Pilate. Uh, a little bit this afternoon. So Luke chapter 23, that big number 23 is just a chapter number. And let me read to you the first 25 verses. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man, that's Jesus, subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He replied, he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought this man as one who was inciting the rebellion, the the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod. For he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. The one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Pilate was a tough man, 
doing a tough job. I'm sure many of us in this building know what that's like, a tough job, when things are difficult, things are hard, running work, tricky. History tells us that he was appointed as the Roman governor for Judea in 26 AD. Normally, the place that the Roman governor ruled from was Caesarea, just down the road from Jerusalem. But every year, during the Jewish festival of Passover, the governor would head to Jerusalem in case there were any riots. Lots of people filled the city, thousands upon thousands. There were two main duties that went with this role of governor. He was to make sure that all the taxes were collected, appropriately sent to Rome, and he was to keep order in the region that he was responsible for. So taxes and control. The Jewish historians Josephus and Philo, they describe Pontius Pilate as a stubborn, inflexible and cruel man who had no respect for the Jewish people. Because of his military background, he often used force when it wasn't necessary. On one occasion, he told his soldiers to disguise themselves in civilian clothes with their swords hidden under their cloaks and to mingle with a crowd of demonstrators. When the soldiers were in position, Pilate signaled for them to pull out their weapons and attack the crowd, killing hundreds of people. But it's unlikely that Pilate was any more brutal than any other governor in the region. These kinds of harsh measures were often used by those in authority to keep control of a region. There was, after all, intense hatred for the Romans. And with so many people gathering in Jerusalem, as I said, a riot could very easily start. And so five, six, seven years into his rule, on one such Passover festival, Pilate finds himself very early in the morning standing before someone called Jesus. The Jewish religious authorities have brought Jesus to Pilate and they make three accusations all aimed at striking right of the heart of Rome. In verse 2 of the reading I just read, if you have a look down at it, if you've got Bibles there, it'll also appear on the screen behind me. We read these words. They began to accuse Jesus, this is in front of Pilate, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah, a king. There are three highly charged political accusations they make about Jesus here. Firstly, that Jesus is trying to lead the Jewish nation away from Roman rule. Secondly, that Jesus has been teaching Jewish people not to pay their taxes. Thirdly, that Jesus is proclaiming himself as king. All three of those accusations were really serious, but that last one... That last one was a direct challenge to Caesar. That brought death. So let's look at Pilate's interaction with Jesus and then think about what we can learn from it today. Pilate meets Jesus and gets it right. 
Pilate meets Jesus and, and gets it right. It seems that Pilate instantly dismisses the claims about turning the Jews from Rome and, and even about taxes. He concentrates on the question of kingship. Look at the small number three again. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for, for a charge against this man. The questioning of Pilate is, is very brief, don't you think? Pilate asks Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Jesus replies with an answer that sounds more like a question. You have said so. Jesus is gently asking Pilate his own question. Is that what you think? Do you think I am king? That, by the way, the the Bible says is, is the central question of our lives. Who do you say Jesus is? How we answer that question will decide how we treat Jesus. If we think that he's just a good man, he'll get our respect. If we think Jesus is a great teacher, he'll get our our mind. But if we think he is the king of the universe, God's son, he'll get our worship. Pilate didn't respond to Jesus directly. Instead, he announces to the Jewish religious leaders that he considers Jesus innocent. This is going to be a constant theme throughout the account of Jesus' trial. The charges don't stand. Jesus is innocent of what's being said about him. We need to keep that in mind because the innocence of Jesus goes much deeper than just these three false charges. Jesus is perfectly innocent. Jesus is God's perfect son. He is the one who has come to give his life. So Pilate meets Jesus and gets it right. He's innocent. Jesus is innocent. Next, Pilate tries to avoid a decision on Jesus. Look at how Jesus' accusers respond to Pilate in the small number five, verse five. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. It just so happens that a lot of Jesus' ministry, the wonderful miracles he had done, power over sickness and death and creation, teaching about the kingdom of God, an everlasting kingdom, free from sickness, suffering and pain, all of that had taken outside of Pilate's region and in Herod's instead. Pilate seizes on this and tries to use it as an opportunity to avoid making a decision on Jesus. Send him to Herod. As it happens, we're told that this is really good news for Herod. Herod's been wanting to see Jesus for a long time, like we might want to go to London and see a a really good show. Herod hoped that Jesus would do some amazing miracle. When Jesus simply stands before Herod in In great kingly humility, Herod and his soldiers, they respond with ridicule and mockery. They they dress Jesus up in a robe and and they pretend that makes him look like a king. They know this is no king in front of him. No king acts like this, they think. And Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. In verse 12, we read, 
that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. It's striking that a friendship is formed between these two Roman officials as they use Jesus as some kind of political football. Pilate using Jesus as a kind of political gift, a toy. Herod as as, as some kind of circus act who doesn't perform. This is a fairly common response to Jesus. People toy. We can toy with the idea of who is Jesus. Take a, a brief look at him. Perhaps a bit intrigued by him. Maybe a chat in a cafe with another person in a pub, around a meal, talk about maybe at Christmas or Easter time. Then the moment is gone and Jesus is gone from our minds. And we're happy. The conversation has moved on and and we think to ourselves, yeah, I'm not keen on making a decision on Jesus. I'll just park that to one side for now. And yet we see that Pilate now meets Jesus again and gets it right again. Small number 13, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Look down at verse 15, neither has Herod, Pilate says, for he sent him back to us as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death, therefore I will punish him and then release him. This time there is an even greater representation of the people. There are the religious leaders and and the ordinary people. See the end of verse 13, the people, people like you and me, as well as the Roman authorities. It seems that the world is gathered around Jesus now. And Pilate for the second time uses this phrase, I have found no basis for your charges against Jesus. Jesus has been brought to him by the Jews, accused of a rebellion. Pilate's legal examination finds no evidence. Not only that, but did you notice that Pilate is even given a second opinion? We're all very used to that, aren't we? The idea of someone who's making a very difficult decision, important one, getting a second opinion. Someone else who knows about this. Someone who's got, who's got some experience and, and helping them decide, giving them some wisdom. That's exactly what Pilate does. He goes to Herod. Herod sends him back. <laughs> this man has done nothing wrong. Certainly Jesus does not deserve death. All this points to the undeniable fact, historical fact, that Jesus should have been released. That's where all the evidence points. And that is what Pilate decides to do. Again, he has got his verdict about Jesus right. He wants to release him. Actually, Jesus is not even worthy of punishment. As we said, he's the perfect son of God. Probably Pilate was only saying this as a way to try and get the Jewish leaders on side, do something that they thought, well, at least that's something we'll agree with Pilate's decision. Look what happens next. Pilate encounters massive opposition as he tries to stand by his decision on Jesus. Verse 18, the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city, for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why 
What crime has this man committed? I find in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. Pilate's decision is met with a furious reaction from the crowd. They want the Jewish teacher with whom the Roman authorities can find no wrong executed and Barabbas, who is like a modern-day terrorist who has caused an uprising, who has murdered, released. Barabbas did the very things that Jesus is being wrongly accused of. The fact that Jesus will suffer in the place of Barabbas for the things that he has done is a picture of what Jesus came into the world to do. How Jesus came to rescue rebels, rebels like you and me, to pay the price for our rebellion. It's now that we see Pilate under intense pressure. He wants to release Jesus, the crowds want him killed. Remember that one of the major roles that Pilate was meant to fulfill as governor was keeping control of the people. So we hear the noisy crowd shouting, crucify, crucify. Pilate would have been clearly concerned how he was handling the situation. He was responsible for a riot. And so for the third time, Pilate declares to them his verdict. Jesus is innocent. But now he claims it even more specifically. What crime has this man committed? Three times Pilate has made this claim. Twice he's told the crowd, I will release him. But look what finally happens. Pilate gives up on Jesus. Gives in to the crowd. And gets it wrong. Look at how the the narrative ends. Verse 23 But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. The people, the pressure, the desire to preserve himself, people, pressure, self-preservation, all led to Pilate giving in to the crowd. He'd had enough. Even though it's clearly unjust, he condemns an innocent man to death and lets a guilty man go free. Luke, the author of the account, really wants us to see that. He repeats Barabbas' crimes for us, why he was thrown into prison. Now, of course, all of this is part of God's plan. Jesus, God's son, goes willingly to his death. There he will give his life as an offering for the sins of the world or rebellion against God. Willingly he will take God's judgment for sin and three days later rise again. He rules over all things now and he calls people to himself. Which means that all of us are responsible for our reactions to Jesus. Pilate's responses to Jesus here raise a a number of questions about how we might be reacting to Jesus. We should be very careful at, at being quick to look down on Pilate, judging his motives and decisions, because Pilate's responses to Jesus are more common to us than we might at first think. So let me ask you, How are you reacting to Jesus? 
How much are you influenced by the desire to fit in with those around you? This was clearly a part of Pilate's decision-making about Jesus. The aggressive religious leaders, the mockery, the ridicule of Herod, the opinion of the crowd, this pulled Pilate into making a decision that he didn't want to make. You know that happens all the time. Perhaps the opinions of certain family members, the friendship circles that we move in, people in our workplace, conversations we hear there, emails, media that we see on TV that we read, can be aggressively anti-Jesus or just indifferent to Jesus. And yet, as we listen to him, even as we're doing that now, we, we see the kinds of things that he did and said, and we might ask, I'm curious about this, curious about Jesus, wanting to know more, but we squash it and run with the opinion of those around us so that we don't stand out, so that we don't suffer the consequences from our friends and peers. How much are we influenced by the desire to fit in with those around us? Which leads us to another question. How much are we influenced in our reaction to Jesus by wanting to maintain good relationships with others? Remember how Pilate seemed to find it politically useful to send Jesus to Herod and then the resulting friendship that came from that. Just like Pilate, it's easy for us to prioritize important relationships over the claims of Jesus as God and Savior. I remember a friend of mine in college who became interested in the claims of Jesus. She was really interested. She started reading the Bible, we had lots of conversations. She started coming to a, to a meeting of God's people, very similar to this, until she realized that following Jesus came before even your loyalties to your family. When she realized that, her interest in Jesus disappeared. She was prepared to put nothing before her family relationships. And it's easy for us to do exactly the same. For the sake of relationships, we can give up interest in Jesus, turn away from the claims of Jesus, fail to give him the honor that he deserves. When it comes to our reaction to Jesus, Pilate's example also asks us how much are we influenced by our desire to keep our job? This would have been clearly an enormous pressure on Pilate. Remember, he was meant to keep the peace in the region, to do everything he could to maintain good relationships with the Jews, to ensure that Roman rule was maintained. All this ended up in Pilate viewing his job, what he did, his ambitions, as more important than the Jesus who stood in front of him, more important than the truth of Jesus' innocence. This one who spoke of being a king, who said his kingdom was not of this world, who had the authority, the presence of the king of the universe. How many of us are tempted to rank our jobs and ambitions and hopes and dreams over Jesus? If standing up for him, if siding with Jesus is going to make work and our ambitions, our priorities, difficult. If it might even make our, our jobs or ambitions uncertain. We, like Pilate, can so easily dismiss Jesus for the sake of a more comfortable life. 
Which leads us to ask next, how much are we influenced by the short term? It's so very easy in life to make decisions based on our present circumstances. How will my decision affect me right now? What will I gain? What will I lose? Pilate couldn't see past the morning annoyance, the shouting crowd, the religious leaders. It's actually very unnatural for us to think about the long term and ask, what am I doing? What, what is my life all about? Not just to look to today, but look not just to the coming years, but the whole of our lives before us. What we decide about Jesus doesn't just matter for Sunday the 2nd of April or 2017. It has enormous implications for the whole of our lives, for eternity. Which leads me to ask you, how much are you influenced in your reaction to Jesus by your conscience? One of the most sobering realities about Pilate is how he acts against his understanding of what is right. He knew that Jesus was innocent. Three times he admits it, no charge against Jesus. Which means that three times Pilate goes against his conscience. That is a deadly thing to do. Our consciences are given to us by God. It's the understanding in us, the God-given understanding of what is right and wrong. The Bible tells us that we know we have this God-given conscience, and yet we purposefully go against it, suppressing what we know about God. Here stands the innocent Jesus. Not just before Pilate, But before you, how are you responding to him? His words of truth, his God-revealing life, his promise of forgiveness and life forevermore. Beware of deadening your conscience so that you hear about Jesus over and over, even from this stage, and yet fail to respond to what you know deep down is true. Lastly, how much are you influenced by just wanting an easy time? Not wanting things to be difficult, not wanting the pain of making a tough decision, living a life that maximizes comfort, minimizes pain. Pilate took the easy option. He gave him to the crowd, handed Jesus over to be killed, In that one decision, Pilate thought, my troubles have disappeared. And in one sense, they did. The crowd stopped shouting. The religious leaders stopped demanding. Literally, it all went away. But what may have appeared to Pilate to be the easy option in the long run was the worst one. You see, Jesus, as we've said, was killed, but three days later rose again. After appearing to his followers, he returned to heaven to reign over this world, building his church. One day, Jesus will return, and everyone who has ever lived, and every decision made about Jesus will be called to account. Pilate will stand before Jesus and give an account. Everyone will. 
And what might appear to be an easy decision today could be the worst, will be the worst decision then if we reject Jesus as Savior and King. So as I finish, we need to be really careful in our judgment of Pilate. How influenced he was by those around him, wanting to keep his friendships, his job, thinking only the present, wanting an easy time, going against his conscience. Those are things we all experience. All of us by nature think first of ourselves, our wants, our desires, self-preservation, comfort, as we reject the God who made us, as we reject Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came to this earth, why he stands before Pilate. He came for rebels like us to give his life as a sacrifice, a payment for our sin and rebellion, three days later to rise again. Amazingly, amazingly, Jesus stands before us now. If we have the eyes of faith to see, Jesus tells us that when two or three of his followers meet together, there is Jesus present. And so Jesus stands here. The same Jesus, but in all his crucified and risen power. And as Pilate was called to make a decision on Jesus, do you know what? We are too. For every follower of Jesus here, we rejoice that Jesus died and rose again. There's nothing good in us. We're no different from Pilate. His want of an easy, safe life. But Christ has called us to himself. We know his forgiveness. Christian, do you often compromise on Jesus? An easy time? Pressure of those around you? If so, say sorry to God and no forgiveness in Jesus and stand up for your Savior in the school, playground, in, in the college room, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. Look to the risen Christ and trust him. Speak of him. Live for him. And as I finish, if you are someone here who doesn't follow Jesus Christ, then why don't you think of his words today? Don't decide against Jesus because it's easy or for the sake of a job or family. Don't go against your conscience. You've often listened to the good news of Jesus preached here. You've seen the difference that Jesus makes. Trust him with your life. Don't delay. Perhaps this is one of the first times that you've come along here. Uh, Can I say to you, thanks for coming. It's really good to see you. Please do come back. There are two more of these Easter reflections next week and the week after. Do come back and and find out more. You'd be most welcome. Eyewitnesses meeting Jesus at the cross. Speak with someone you came with, someone, someone you know, Luke, Ian, one of the other leaders. But don't dismiss this Jesus like Pilate did. This Easter, take take a closer look at Jesus Christ, the one who died and who rose again, and who reigns, and who asks you, who do you say that I am? Let's pray together. Well, we've seen the reaction of Pilate to Jesus. Let's just take a moment in the quietness in the quietness of our hearts, to respond to God as we have read his word. And in a moment, we'll be led together in song.